Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I couldn't be prouder to announce that today's guests are none other than my two daughters, Jasmine and Candice. They've agreed to join me for a candid conversation about their experiences growing up off the back of my playing career and the impact it had on their lives. We'll be delving into their earliest memories, exploring how my involvement in sports shaped their own aspirations and reflecting on the unique challenges they face along the way. We'll be discussing the fantasy football sketch and how it not only affected me personally, but also left a lasting impression on my daughters. During our discussion, we'll dive into how that incident impacted them both individually and how they dealt with discrimination in their own lives. Hello, welcome to the Absolutely Podcast. I've got two very special guests today. It's going to be different. I'd imagine it's going to be informative. It's going to be lively. Okay, I would like to welcome my daughters, Jasmine and Candice. Welcome to the Absolutely Podcast. How are we? I'm good. How are you, Dad? I'm good. How was it travelling <laughs> down from up north, down, down south? A breeze. It was chaos. a breeze, yeah? It's, it's chaos. always chaos. Well, you got here. Um, I appreciate it. And obviously, we're going to talk about and recap, um, talk about some of my experiences and obviously how you guys have found being on the journey. And that's what I was going to ask. That's going to be my first question, really. What's it been like, you know, for you since I really kind of mentioned the fact that, you know, what, I'm going to do a podcast. And how do you feel about that? You've obviously been part of that especially yourself with the social media trying to help me and you've been part of that in terms of discussion you know how did you feel about it when I said to you I'm going to do a podcast it's been exciting like it's a little bit daunting sometimes as you're putting yourself out there again but yeah it's been really exciting it's been really interesting listening to some of the conversations that you've had I've enjoyed it when you say again is that because for people that know me they wouldn't have seen me on social media I popped up you know the last year very closed in that in that respect. So that's what you mean, right? You know that I've kind of took the plunge in terms of being more visible. Yeah, you're a very private person. So to be putting a bit more of yourself out there into social media and also like the world's changed from when you were at the peak of your career. So coming back out again now into the way that the world is of social media. So yeah, it was a little bit daunting seeing all the, f- the feedback and stuff that's going to come online. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a completely different playing ground to what you had. Yeah, I mean, you, you know as well. So you've been part of the conversation. I, I did say to you all that I'm going to be on social media, you know, uh, trying not to get involved in any online spats. It's just not worth it. But you've both been very helpful. I mean, what's it been like seeing me pop up and you've seen my Insta? And... It's good. It's funny. Sometimes I have to remember, oh, God, I've got my dad on Instagram. And you and I can see everything. Up, you just start loving my story. I'm like, oh, Jason has seen me out. I don't love everything. Time to behave. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> But Sometimes no. it's time to be a parent. I don't love everything. I see what I see, but that's my problem now, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So what's been your experiences growing up with a dad who played professional football? I think, so we've talked about this kind of question. Um, I think because I've had the longest spanning memory, given that I'm the eldest of everyone, it's it's been like a mixed bag. So when we were younger, I remember us going to games and stuff when we were younger, like, wait for my dad. I mean, probably the worst memory of you is, is my dad ready yet? Is my dad ready yet? We have to yeah. wait in that player's the lounge player's for lounge. hours. And everyone's like, he's not even got in the shower, Jasmine. I'm like, for mm-hmm. God's sake, mm-hmm. we've been here for two hours. The game ended. 
like what's happening. They're our worst ones. But um, yeah, like I think when you're younger, you don't really take much notice of it too much. But as we started to get a little bit older, I think particularly, particularly when, when you probably started playing for Notts County because that's our hometown. Mm. And I was, I think I was 16 to 18 at the time. Um, that was a lot more like public, like in your face for me, especially at school, having to deal with, you know, you're going in and like you're critiquing my dad. Like I don't go onto the your dad's workplace and be like, oh, you've not done this very well, you've not done that well. But mm. I have to sit and hear that like in my my place of school and place of learning. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been a journey. That's it's for been sure. a journey. What about yourself? Do you remember? I mean, obviously, there's five years difference. Yeah, we have I was going to gonna say, know. I think it was much more relaxed by the time I was that age because mm. you'd sort of come out of the limelight a bit by that point. I don't really have any anything that stands out like it was just mm. the norm people are like oh your dad's Jason Lee I'm like yeah I know my yeah, dad he gets on my nerves it's that mm. same guy yeah, yeah. whereas uh, <laughs> it just grounded me actually yeah, yeah don't grounded talk to him again. that guy <laughs> yeah Good it was a bit more him. normal for me I think I mean listen to put it into more context so as you say you would have been 15, 16 that was my last my last league club well I went to Mansfield after so I did full circle you know we, we moved to Nottingham when I signed for Nottingham Forest obviously you was born in London but you know brought up in Nottingham you was born in Nottingham along with your with your brothers so Nottingham's been our you know our life for the best part of 25 years so that's what you know but for me from then I had to commute and play for teams all over the country which we'll get back to in a later question but you know, it was my last stop and I wanted to make it work. And I did really well there. So I was club captain, I was scoring goals. So you would have seen the positive side and yet there would have still been some negativity around it, but you would have seen the positive side. There was periods, you know, during your career, during my career, as you can imagine, where things wasn't going well. Yeah, you know? sitting in the stand as a family member. I used to wear my, my AirPods or AirPods at the time when I'm out there, like listening to music during the game. Because I don't want to hear what's been said. But at the end mm. of the day, this is my biggest pet peeve of football anyway. It's like you're talking about actual people. Like their family and friends do have to see the comments that you say. Mm. And obviously now you're on social media. That's why it's, like, it's a bit like daunting and like apprehensive of you going on because like, you could hear it in the stands. So, like, that's yeah, bad enough. But like, having, to, mm. having to like read it and stuff. But yeah, like growing up and hearing that stuff, like it's not great. So talking about my career again, if you remember, I mean, I commuted to all of my clubs, right? You've heard me speak about this before. Yep. It was a it was a family decision and conscious decision that I made, and I know it went against the grain, against the the, the grade, especially when I went to Watford and Graham Taylor, and we had this public, not spat, but you know, managers like you to commute and live within, you know, half an hour radius or whatever it may be, you know, a five mile radius. But I just know the way the game is, and when I talk about to fans to, to give them an insight that there is no loyalty in football people don't want to hear that you could go in on a Monday and a manager could say to you listen you're not in my plans anymore you've just relocated you've moved your family down got a three year contract you're not in my plans anymore go and train with the kids then you're like oh now what am I supposed to do so I always knew in the back of my mind that you know what other people do it in other walks of life I'm going to commute get in my car if I have to stay over stay in a hotel whatever it may be do what I got to do. I mean, how was it for you? I mean, I would like to think, but you can you can answer this. I would like to think I was always a present parent in terms of uh, the majority of the time I was home early. I was always there, apart from obviously when I was commuting, and and also apart from the time, you know, that I went and played in Scotland. Mm -hmm. You know, so you can kind of talk about that. I did. I signed a two year contract, but came back after a year, and that was the only time when I played in Scotland that I was away from the home for a long period of time. So. How would you have felt about the fact that, or did you even notice that I was commuting and I wasn't around? And I mean, we would have. Pref I think we would have preferred that than having to move relocate. with you and exactly. relocate constantly. I think that would have had Finished a much bigger like, detriment on us than you just commuting. Mm. Obviously, like Christmases, things like that. It was. That's an, yeah. That's a good point. Right? When you weren't there, people don't realize Christmas Day. Mm, gone. We don't have Christmas Day. We we, had it early. we would start really early, and then you'd off, obviously go to the training grounds and do your mm. training for your Boxing Day games, or and then we finish it 
at the end of the day. Yeah. Like well, we had we just did Christmas later. Once you got yeah. back, we'd do Boxing Day mm. with all the family. So you made up for it. Whether you do something early or do it late, you always it's that made sacrifice, up for it. isn't it? Like it is. when you're younger, I don't think we would have been like, oh yeah, Dad's commuting is doing it for us. Like when you obviously when you look back, like you say, you've pretty much played for every team within like a two hour radius of Nottingham. Like you've clearly done that on purpose. And Scotland was the big, the big one, and that was probably the only team I think you played for where we actually sat down and had a discussion as a family around potentially relocating. Mm. I thank God we didn't, but mm-hmm. like that was almost, mm. and that was probably one of the hardest years that I think we had. I, yeah, I, probably, I think tough. I just got a mobile at the time. I'd have been what ten. Yeah, I was just about to go into I know that was a tough period because of age as well. And, yeah. and the boys, you know, we're not talking about the boys. I've got two sons as well. Um, couldn't fit them all on the couch. <laughs> Conversation wouldn't have been very different. But, you know, even the boys were going through what they're going through in terms of adolescence and growing up. And, you know, it's it's not easy for parents. You want to be there. You know, you want to ensure that you're still instilling uh, good discipline. And, you know, I'm a, a disciplinarian and... I always want to be in and oh, around. So wait till dad gets home. Well, he's not home for another three days. Mom, right, so. exactly. So being away, <laughs> yeah, being away in Scotland, I would imagine, you know, was tough on on your mum. She used to ring me, and yeah, but as the fans, they 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 don't appreciate that. I think when people hear it, the way I'm maybe talking, they go, oh, okay, didn't look at it that way. But you get paid well, you play football, so therefore you should just, you know, not complain about anything, but it's a real life and you've got children and you've got people who need you so you want to be in and around them regardless of you know of money so Scotland I know was a test definitely and like that, that Christmas test. that we had there all in that really teeny tiny house and there's like six of us in one bedroom yeah we made it work and you got you know your teammate in the other room and we're trying to like make Christmas dinner and stuff mm. and I just remember the airport scene vividly like us leaving because right. that's when we flew but like, usually you would drive down it's a six hour drive yeah. down from Falkirk and then so some, you were yeah. doing that at least once a month to mm. come and see us for the weekend, actually weekend off, and then you go back up again. That they're hard, but yeah, that airport scene. Remember that, and we're all just there crying. Like mm. we must have looked an absolute mess. Yeah, that that wasn't easy for me, but it's the bigger picture. You know, you got to keep earning that money. Got four mouths to feed, and you know, you guys like like <laughs> like. <laughs> like don't, don't know why you're looking at me. Like <laughs> so I, yeah, I just had to do what I had to do, and I always I always tried to do what was best for you guys. That that situation actually, I had to go to Scotland because you know people might wonder well, why did you go and play in Scotland. I had a period of time at Peterborough where um, I was out injured, ruptured my patella tendon. I was at a real real career crossroads. I was told I'd never play again. Did the work. I was out of contract. It was the first time that I was out of contract where clubs were like debating whether they were going to sign me. So I've always had a club, regardless of what people think. I've always had teams, I've always been signed. But you know what? You've been injured for like 15 months. So mm, are you really good to go? I was 30 years of age as well. And the contracts I was being offered here, they were, I, feel, I thought they were taking the piss. I'm not going to lie. But I understood where they were coming from. They were like, prove yourself, blah, blah, blah. Scotland offered me, you know, Falkirk. Oh, they loved me, you in Falkirk. They, they offered me a two-year deal. I mean, it was like, okay. You know, I wouldn't have gone up there if I wasn't okay. But for them to show that faith in me, you know, I went up there, signed a two-year, had a really good season. But again, I had a conversation with the manager and everybody in the scene said, listen, I've loved it. Everyone's been great. But we need to actually uh, uh, come to some sort of mutual agreement where I can actually return home because... A year away from home, mm. I just realised I couldn't do my second season. And you didn't tell us until you'd actually got back home. Like yeah. you pulled onto the drive, and we're like, "When you're going back?" Like, was I was like, "Dad, you've got a lot of clothes in the car. Like, mm. what's going on?" He goes, "I'm back. Like, I'm, I'm not going back." Yeah, that was nice. It was nice to be able to do that. Obviously, I couldn't discuss it and talk about it because getting out of a contract is not easy. Um, you know, they're they're thinking, "Well, you've got another year, but come on, family first. That's the point." No point in me staying here and being miserable, kicking and screaming. So it was good to be back. And, you know, things worked. I was able to get clubs, signed for Boston, went from Boston to Northampton, Northampton to Notts County. So I was back home, back on the doorstep. It worked out. It worked out in the end. So I had to take that chance. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, so let's talk about season one and especially the way we kicked off season one. Um, when I said to you guys that, guess who my first guest is going to be? It's going to be David Badil. I mean, how did we feel about that? I mean, I thought it was great. <laughs> Explain how, elaborate. Well, I just think you finally get to get your closure. Although you kept yourself super compo- composed, relaxed, you still let him know about what he's done. And you could see he was shook. I thought it was good. I don't think you agree, do you, Jasmine? No, it was a great episode. I do agree. But obviously when you first found out that he was going to be the first on the episode, like there's a little bit of conflict because... We kind of knew why he was coming into the podcast. So, mm. like, there's that in the back of your head. And, I mean, obviously, for those that have I've watched that podcast and whatnot and seen some of the stuff on social media afterwards, I'm so pleased that you've got this closure, you know, from all this time ago. And he's finally apologised to you. And, you know, whether people think it's sincere or not, like, you believe it is, and that's really all that matters. Um, but for me, and for there's plenty of people out there, like, it doesn't actually change the impact or the effect that that show had on our lives and on, you know, that we got so many, like, emotional stories through social media. I spent a lot of time going through it afterwards of children, young children at school who were being bullied in the playground because they their peers were watching the show mm. and they thought it was all okay, like, mocking their hairstyle. So there is a community out there who think, you know, great, but they're pleased for you to have your, your apology, but it mm. doesn't actually change their experience and it hasn't, it doesn't eradicate what they've gone through. Yeah, but it also, he has been held accountable. Dad literally held him accountable. Do you know what I mean? I tried. I mean, some mm. people don't think I was harsh enough. So when I've had conversations with them about that, I'm saying, listen, at the end of the day, I'm on, I'm on camera. You know, you're trying to do something. You're trying to have a grown-up conversation. You know, if I'd have met him 10 years before, it would have been a different conversation. Or 20 years before, we probably yeah. wouldn't have got to this point. But... The fact is, the irony, I've never, I never ever met the man. The conversations were had by other people on behalf of us. I always had to deal with it every time his name was brought up and vice versa. And he would have been on social media and I wasn't. So there was no way for me to, to kind of cut in and have a conversation. I wanted to do it in the right way. I believe I'm still very proud of what we put together, you know. Yeah, you did it in the best way. People on social media going, oh, you should have done this, should have done always, that. There's always, there's always. That doesn't benefit anyone. It's just then he looks just as much of a knob as this guy. Do you know what I mean? I'd have been the angry black man. Exactly. Yeah. You would have just perpetuated that same narrative. At least you've come up, like, sat there and he's held himself accountable. And whether his apology was sincere or not, he's shown everyone, like, that's not okay. And mm. he's realised whether he yeah. is... Being sincere or not, it's like, it's not okay. It's time to change. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we won't know when people ask me. And when I say I accept his apology, whether he's sincere or not, it's about doing the work. That is pretty much our strap line. So you can say sorry, but we're I'm watching. We're all watching. Like, what are you doing? Let's see what, how you progress, what you're doing going forward. We talk about allyship. You know, step out of your, you know, we spoke about um, supporting the Jewish community and this, that and the other. You know, he had his show. I showed him that I'm prepared to be an ally and support the Jewish community and I, I get it, anti-Semitism, I understand. 
you know, what are you prepared to do? You're talking about your community, but what about black people? You know, what about women? What about other areas? You've got to show people. He's got to do the work. So I ain't letting him off that lightly. I'm watching, yeah. you know, let's all see what he does going forward. But for him to come and sit in this studio, and sit there and apologise, you know, I had to afford somebody and give him the opportunity to do yeah. that. So let's talk, listen, we have some great debates at the dinner table uh, and they can go left or right very quickly, but we're all very opinionated and I think as parents we should be proud that we've, you know, you've got your own voices, but the fact that you're very outspoken and you've both been to university and you've both, you know, studied sociology and just get into it a little bit. I mean people became woke at different stages of their lives, didn't they? I've, you know, as a parent, being from East London, I always tried to instill um, some culture. you got black family, you saw them, you hear me speak patois. I just think it was really important that you felt, you know, some sort of um, connection with, with your people then, you know what I mean? Yeah, we you had know? we had to go to uni. Like, like you say, we had a lot of experience conversations, we had a lot of stories and stuff from you, mm. but, and like school at the time wasn't covering that, those race relation kind of topics. Mm-hmm. Going to uni, expanding my friendship group for a start, like that is probably the biggest thing. Like I now have friends from all different races and religions and like, it wasn't getting that. Yeah, we grew up in, in our a, town, right? All white village, right? I think there was literally one ten single black man in the village, right. and you'd wave at him as you go by. And there's maybe ten ethnic minorities at our school, and like, I'm related to three of them. Like, mm. we didn't get that. So going to uni did that, but also from the education perspective, we were given that opportunity. I think both of our degrees had a very like, heavy race relation focus on it. Yeah, so by choice as well. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was great because. You know, when you came back from unis, it was it was double-edged sword for me. It was like, you've learned a lot. So what you've learned is now you're like trying to implement that on yeah, me. I'm telling you from from um, life experience, but you're reading from texts. Um, but you did, as you said, you learned a lot more. You know, you're you're more culturally aware. You've done the history. That That's a big thing. We talk about the curriculum in schools. Mm-hmm. There's not enough history done. History's been told from what perspective? You know, he's not being told from a black perspective. Yeah, it's, it's, being it's told all just the... ethnocentric. It's mm. it's like three different topics. And I almost did a dissertation on this, but in the end I didn't have to do it. Um, and I was going to do the lack of black history or the lack of black education within the curriculum at schools. Mm. It would be so easy to slot it in. Like, your English literature novel could be 12 years a slave and you're hitting two stones, two birds with one stone, get yeah. you bloody things right. With two birds with um, one stone. Yeah, you could have done both at the same time, but we don't and we choose to pick these very like bog standard texts that we've done for decades and decades now. Mm. We don't have to go and do a very, okay, we're going to do black history this week and this, we're just going to learn about it this week and then not talk about it again. It's so easy to slot this kind of stuff into the curriculum. It just doesn't feel like there's an appetite to do that from those that set those curriculums. Mm. You know, you've got, your, you've got your life experiences now as well. So you become more aware of your surroundings and what's mm-hmm. being said. And and I always used to try to point out to you guys, especially, you know, so you've got four children. You've all got different uh, skin colours. Bag of different rebels. Bag of rebels, we used to describe you as. Different hair textures. Very different. But, you know, you've got the same parents and you're mixed race. And so we've always tried to, I always try to make you guys aware. Now, I've had conversations with other people with mixed race children and what conversation do you have with them? But I think, children need to be prepared for the eventuality of when they do get racially abused or discriminated against because it's a big shock to you. You don't want to be that blinded to the fact that I just didn't understand or didn't know what was happening. So I always tried to, you know, to to say, it's hard out there, this is going to happen. And yeah, my experience, and you guys used to say, it, I think more than anybody, but we don't live in London or we don't live in the East End of London. So I'll be telling you about my experiences and I'll try and tell your brother, like, honestly, Blaze, little shout out to Blaze there, you know, same skin colour, temperament-wise, can fly off the handle. You do anything wrong growing up, I'm telling you, you with all your white friends, people remembering you. Mm-hmm. The amount of times people knocked on my door and said, your son, your son, your son, because yeah. you stick out like a sore thumb. So at some stage, you've got to realise that, you know what, people see me differently. And you, you've pointed out some good points as well, is that 
some people might not realise you're mixed race because you might have your hair straight and this, that and the other, and yet you've got a brother who's got darker skin. So sometimes people, there's an assumption they can have a conversation and it can be quite disrespectful yeah. and then it's old on a minute. Being at school was was different. Like, I talk about this all the time. Blaze was black. Doesn't matter how, who you're talking to, Blaze, Blaze was black. Mm. But I wasn't black because I don't have the same skin tone. And it didn't matter how many... We know we've got the same parents. It doesn't matter how many times I explained, you do realise we have the same parents. So if you say that Blaze is black, then so am I. Mm. It's the age-old thing, especially if you're mixed race, you'll resonate with it so much in that you're not white enough to be white, you're not black enough to be black. Like, where do you fit? Mm. Culturally as well. When I hang around my black family, I am the palest person in the room. I'm basically white, like... As an especially if I've got my hair straight. So the fact that's difficult sometimes. I don't feel so much maybe when we go to the white side of the family because I do have some mixed race cousins as well. But we're all white passing as mixed race cousins too. Mm. So, I mean, it might be different for Candy and the boys because they generally do have a darker skin tone than me. This is my summertime, by the way. Normally I look like Casper. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like that was difficult in that people just could not grasp the fact that, yeah, well, if you're going to call him black, I'm also black. Mm. As I said, the, my job, I think the job as a parent is to try and, you know, and your mum as well. Obviously, you know, you, you remember grandma, nanny. You, you get both sides. You get both sides and it's about being comfortable with both sides. I've always been comfortable with my skin. I learned at a very early age. I'm seen in this world as a black man. It is, you know, I can't pass as a white man. So when people want to be smart and want to be clever and say, but you're mixed race... Yeah, but nine times out of ten, I'm a black, whatever. Mm. I've never been called a white anything. Yeah. This, this disrespectful in my life. So, mm-hmm. you know, know where you fit and be comfortable in your own skin. Do you think you would have got to this place or has the fact that I've been, you know, I've been quite vocal, haven't I? I've done a lot of media over the last years, even without social media. You've seen me speaking up on a lot of topics, right? Trying to deal with social injustice you know has that shaped you have you been able to get behind that have you fully understood that despite your you know spite your enthusiasm for the for the subject I mean I think we've both naturally been quite outspoken people anyway I think it goes hand in hand I'm not sure whether it's necessarily like that's what's triggered us to go and do things I just think generally like we're quite to the point with things that you want to say, like, we're not going to beat around the bush. Mm. We've been like that, I think, since we were children. So, um, but yeah, like, we're definitely, I think we're both definitely involved in that kind of stuff in our workplace anyway. Like, you've just mentioned you're part of your EDI groups. Um, I'm part of a, a BRG or business resource group. At my workplace called REACH, which is the Race and Ethnic Cultural Heritage Society. Um, so we do a lot of stuff there, do a lot of events at work, like, just kind of educating people on like a day-to-day. So heavily involved in that. We're quite like outspoken on social media too. Like, so I've, our friends, like people that we know, they know what we're about. All right, so as young girls growing up, did you experience any microaggressions? So we're going to get into it now. For those that don't fully understand when we talk about unconscious bias, it's wordplay. Some people want to talk about someone's not a conscious racist. I mean, what does that mean? I always find unconscious bias is a very polite way. We're trying to find a way to not offend people by basically, you know, not calling them racist, but whatever way you want to look at it, microaggressions, have you felt, have you experienced, you know, any scenarios, any situations where you could say, you know what, that's not right? Yes. Yeah, I think we've experienced loads mm-hmm. of it growing up, but I think when we were younger, we didn't have the tools to acknowledge that's what it was. What it was, you just thought, oh. It's your friendship groups as well. It's yeah. being young. And you brush it off and yeah. you're like, oh, you don't really think that much of it. But as you get older Look and you now. get more educated, obviously we've done our degrees, you know, learning things from you. You then start to deep the comments and you're like, mm. hang on. That wasn't right. That, that wasn't appropriate. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm. Such as what? you got to, you got to elaborate what comments when you look back, because that's what happens. We look back and think, now that I've got better knowledge, what yeah. what happened for you to be thinking that wasn't right? Now that I've got a better understanding. So your skin comparison, so constant for me. I I know I'm quite like light skinned, right? Mm. There's no melanin in me, Jesus. 
Um, but <laughs> it was always compare compare their arms to each other. Like we're buying browner than you. And yeah, I'm like, I don't they, know what point you're trying to prove. They come back from holiday and go, yeah. look, I'm blacker than you are. Like good for you, hun. But mm. I'm still mixed race. Like mm. my dad's still. Do you know what I mean? The guy's still brown. Like it's not changing just because you've now come back and got a bit of a tan. Mm. That that and then hair. Hair. That's a big one. We're gonna get onto that. Look, you know, I had lovely hair back in the day. You know, I've decided to take it all off and go clean shaven, but I'll be back on the face, but not the head top. But, you know, hair's a big thing. So people don't understand. They think, oh, you're being overly sensitive. You know, you've heard me talk about the fact with my hair and the dreadlocks. It meant something to me. If I could grow my hair out, I would have grown my hair out. You know, it's deeply offensive when people want to, they want to put you down. They don't want to mock you and... You know, they might want to touch your hair. So I'm pretty sure this is going to trigger something from you guys. Triggered. You know, I'm triggered. You can, you can go for it. It, it. Hair is a big deal. It's part of your body. It's part of your identity. But people, they feel they can maybe come into your personal space. So mm-hmm. talk to me about it. Hair. Should we go with hair touching first? Where do I begin? In yeah. I mean, I've only started my, like, curly hair journey. Obviously, I've got braids at the minute. In like 2019, it was like first year of uni. Obviously, we mentioned we grew up in an all-white town. So my hair was straight from the get-go. I'd get it relaxed. I'd get it straightened to the point it literally just frazzled off onto the floor. You guys could just smell burning mm, in the always. house. I could always smell What pork. is that smell? Candy straight in her hair. Like, it would take hours. And what? That is to fit in, right? Yeah, it's to fit in because you're going to school, you know. Everyone's got straight hair. And they'd be like, oh... What's wrong with your hair? Why does it look like that? Then I want to touch it. So yeah, I would straighten it. I'd relax it. And even then when it was relaxed, people would go like, oh, why is, your, why is your hair look like that? Yeah. Why is it so greasy? Why is it so clumped together? Wash cycles. People couldn't get their head around that. Like, yeah, I, I couldn't, couldn't go not, swimming. Couldn't, didn't want to go swimming, right? Because who else got time? I'm not, I'm not drying my hair. I'm also not going around for the rest of Friday afternoon with wet curly hair. But the wash cycles, people don't understand when you've got mixed race or Afro hair. You don't have to wash it as often. Like, I could go back in the day. I don't do it anymore because I've changed my hair routine. But I could go weeks and weeks without having to wash my hair. And it would still be straight because of the... Mm-hmm. I was using the wrong products, right? Mm. But it would still be straight. People could not get their head around the fact that I wasn't washing my dirty. hair. Yeah, like, every other day. You've not washed your hair in a week. I'm like, I don't need to. I was like, I don't have 24 hours to do my hair again. I ain't got the time for it. Mm. But hair, hair is, can be self-cleansing. People don't understand you're just washing out the nutrients anyway. Exactly. By constantly washing, and you know. curlier hair or coarser hair textures, they need that oil. The oil doesn't go all the way down your hair. So if you mm. wash it, your hair's going to be dry. It's going to yeah. break off. I go two weeks sometimes without washing my hair. Mm. Obviously, I've got my braids in now. This ain't getting washed for about two months. <laughs> and that's cool. But when it comes out, it's going to be really strong and healthy. Oh, and it's going to be amazing. It's always a good thing for you, isn't it, when you've done that? Yeah, you... you have your braids, get a little, you know, protective style in, and then mm. yeah, like, after we, we had a lot of repairing to do. Like like Candy alluded to, when you're surrounded in a very white town, everyone's hair is straight. There's very little people that had kind of curly hair, but even then it was mm-hmm. like wavy. You want to? I want to fit in. I want to wear my hair in a ponytail. But I can't wear it in a ponytail if it's curly because it looks like a pom pom, right? And mm-hmm. like. You get the odd little comments. My favourite comment, I'm not going to lie, when I was younger, I was like, oh, pubed. And I'm like, oh, come on, grow up. <laughs> my hair. So I'm rocking my pubed today. Like, <laughs> it's just ridiculous, the kind of comments what, and stuff by, that come by out. going all natural? By having my hair curly. Yeah. I would very rarely wear my hair curly at school. Mm. But also, we didn't have that kind of culture around us to, to do our hair properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you understand know? that. Oh, that's, yeah. what, that's, that's one of the reasons I grew my locks. I mean, you because did I didn't have time to go barbers and who's got time for this? And do you know what I mean? You get your hair braided and it would only be if a member of family come up, they could do your hair. So yeah. it was long, I get that. But you know, I've always been really proud and loved it, but it's always easy for me to say when you all go all natural, you know, I'm like, ooh, I love to see those curls. But, and, and now that you're old enough, you're able to embrace it, your your confidence in, in your in your bodies. But when you're young, it, yeah, I understand it was difficult for you to, to do that. But I've always loved it when you when when you do that. So yeah, it's taken years mm. to love it, but now I absolutely love my hair curly. Like it's my best feature. I love it, and it's just crazy to me that my whole life hated it. I hated it. I'd straighten it. I cut it. I'd 
destroy yeah, you it. Was, you was battering it. You was yeah. ruining it. But people might think, oh, what are you talking about? Spending a long time talking about hair. But going back to the microaggressions, mm. it's, it's really home in on the fact that what's evasive is when people want to step in and... Grab your let's hair. Be, touch, let's be perfectly yeah. honest. It's white people that do it to black people. Always. Right? They will come in and they will touch your hair or grab your hair and say, oh, let me feel it. And people used to touch my locks. like People grab my... I literally... Obviously, I've just had my braids in a couple of weeks ago. I switch between braids and curly every couple of months to give my hair a break. The second I've got a new hairstyle, I literally, the night before I go into work or somewhere, I'm thinking, oh... Good have hands. Who's going to touch my hair today? And lo and behold... It'll be six minutes past nine and I'm in the group chat. Mm. Already had my hair grabbed by three people. Mm. People come in from all angles. They come from behind so you can't even mm. catch them. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's just before you know it. Like ping. When they, someone's in your hair. When it's curly and they want to do that little ping. Like. Oh, yeah. But then people want to laugh it off. So people will be saying, you'd be overly sensitive. Yeah, but and they go, the oh, thing is, you're stepping into someone's space like, yeah, it's like you it's, don't do it the other way around well, it doesn't happen say, the other way around and it's right? like touching a pregnant woman's belly like mm. you don't you shouldn't be I know people yeah. do it but you shouldn't be doing that without their permission it, it, regardless of like whether it sounds petty or not you don't mm. need to be touching me at all yeah but yes, their response is when you go oh like, don't touch my hair they go oh but you, you can, can touch, touch mine, mine. But but I don't want, want to touch your hair but I'm not touching yours mm. right exactly no one's touching yours there's a deeper deeper we could really get into it and you know, you just go back historically. Do you know what I mean? People don't understand. It's like black people, you're petting them and you know mm. what I mean? You're looking at them differently and the surprise and this is the microaggression like, oh, I didn't realise you could do that or, or don't you speak really well mm-hmm. and, you know, in your hair. I didn't like, realise it'd be that soft. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, these com- where do these comments come from? You know, I'm on a level with you. Don't look at me as subpar and think that be surprised by the fact that I can do something or look special. Do you know what I mean? And and black be- and black women and men, they were um, people did sexualize them going way back. You know, there's his- there's a lot of historical stuff around black people and how they get mistreated because of the color of their skin. So people doing the work means people need to probably listen to what we're talking about now, take on board what we're saying. Also, maybe go away and do a little bit of research and think. You know, what are the points they're trying to make? We're trying to put it in a way that you'd understand that. This is my personal space. I don't need to be hearing it. I don't need to be hearing it. And I certainly don't need you to be coming over from where you are Mm -hmm. to put your hands all up in my head. You know, even I used to have it back in the day with locks. And I'd be like, what what are you doing? Where are you going? Mm. I I just don't appreciate it. I don't need that. I don't know where your hands have been. I don't want to get this curl curated this morning. Get off. Yeah, so it's not all good. So we spent some time on that. I just think that's an educational piece. Hopefully people can can understand what we're getting and where we're going now. Have you taken anything away from my interviews with my guests? Leon's episode. I don't know if it's because I know him on a personal level, but Mm. his episode really resonated with me. I really enjoyed that one. And even just the part where he was talking about growing up when his dad was trying to push, you know, boxing on him, going, come on, Leon, you're coming for a run. What are you doing? And he just turned around one day and went, nah, mate. listen, football I'm not coming. Me. It's football. And at that moment when you guys were, were talking about that, oh, I got a little goosebumps. It's I thought, funny. It's funny, but also I just love that he just owned it. It was like, because it's your dad at the end of the day. You know, he's obviously thought, I'm, I want to impress my dad. I want to, you know, follow in his footsteps. But then he was like, no, I need to follow my dream do what I want to do and I mm. thought that was a powerful moment but then he went back to boxing anyway in the end so yeah. he always had a passion for it but yeah just you've heard me speaking to people and also you know men as well the, the majority of my guests have, have been men and trying to get men to open up mm. that's important even for me you 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 guys know me well enough I'm not a person who likes to be emotional and you just it, it's seen as a weakness for my industry do you know what I mean men will always think can't have these conversations and to be fair you, you've you tried to help me with that and just you know try and share and, and don't be embarrassed if I get upset and yeah, just think, I think it's important yeah think you've got a bit better over the years I've tried I've tried I do listen but it's still a, a something that's inbuilt that you don't want to show you know it's seen as a weakness so you don't want to let your guard down and you can imagine when people are coming at you you just don't want to show them that do you you don't want to give them a 
you know, get it in your career, definitely get it in your career. But like, like Candy mm. said, like in your personal outside of work, mm. it's definitely been some changes in that space. Because like you say, the emotional opening upside was even wasn't happening when we were younger, right? That mm. wasn't that mm. wasn't a normal thing. But now I would say, like in the last five or six years, you know, there's definitely a different side that we're seeing, which is great. It's what you kind of need. Yeah, and, and more importantly, you know, I'm, I'm watching you guys. It's, it's about how you develop and, you know, as young women, you know, hopefully, listen, you can't help it. I think as parents, you're always going to pass on baggage. You try not to. So even when people talk about their experiences and they're negative, you've got to live your life. I get that. So I'm always hopeful. I can only tell you about my experience, my negative ones, to hope that you don't have to endure that. But they are just real, real little markers as to just be aware always, be aware, be, you know. I, I'm just really pleased with how you're navigating, how you're dealing with certain situations. You're doing things differently. It's a different world. And, and more importantly, I tell people all the time that I don't believe in EDI experts. I believe in I've got my own experience. I can help. We're out there doing the work. You've got to learn from young people. People just... You know, dismiss younger people straight away, right? And I'm really, really because you've got no life experiences. But <laughs> I wouldn't class you as a young person, but anyway. <laughs> oh, shots fired today. <laughs> I just think I just think it's important that we listen to younger people, and I've tried to listen to what you have to say, how the world is evolving, how it's changing. You know, I've still got to fit into that. People older than myself have still got to fit into that. So, what would you like to see me maybe do that I'm not already doing in terms of who I'm reaching, who I'm speaking to? What do you think I can do more in this space? I think you're doing a lot, but I say we've only had one female guest, mm. apart from us I was two, say the same. and yeah. we had Farah on, mm. and maybe it's branching out into that. And I think that's what some people have asked for as well. Some of the comments they want to see a bit more around that. Um, I think we've touched a lot on mental health. I think it's really important. Um, you know, if I cast my mind back to some of the episodes that we have had, we've had quite a good breadth of conversations. So you've got DJ Spoonie, we went into mm. the music world. We had Andy in, you know, talking about media and TV. Yeah, I'm trying to think what else we want to cover, but I, I think for me, like, it's more of like a female perspective around Same. stuff. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, we're going into the into the World Cup. Barrow was here, obviously, we spoke off the back of the Euros. You know, allyship, trying to support the women's game. You know, you've seen... With my socials, I'll, I'll try and speak about, you know, the women's game, especially as we go into the World Cup. I'll try and raise awareness around that, raise a profile. Just think, you know, it's big. I mean, we we had, I don't know if we did it off camera, but we spoke about, did I support you enough in terms of going to play sport? So obviously the boys wanted to play football until they didn't. You know, you played all the sports at school and I would come and watch, you know. It was, it was netball, wasn't it, or hockey? All of the above. Yeah. I was hockey. You was oh, it's netball, hockey, athletics. I don't know what you're talking about. You didn't do one of these. Yes, she did. I did athletics, I remember. When? She did, a, I got did the, the cross country. The score, she was pretty I have quick. You then. All right. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you played in that cup final. I mean, we can elaborate your cup final at Notts County, which I come to watch hey. and sat behind the goal. <laughs> the one time you didn't came touch to the watch. ball. Did touch the ball. Hey, I got dragged from the netball pitch to the football pitch because they're like, your dad's chasing Lee, you'll be able to play football. Come on. What a misconception that was. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah. I didn't touch football with a barge pro. I was a hockey girl. Mm. Free time. Champions. Staying. So let's be honest. (laughs) Do you even do you even listen, your mum's the same. She would only be interested in football because I was playing. Otherwise, there's no interest. You came to some game. You came to probably very few games. Yeah, I didn't. Because really I was at the back end of my career. Yeah. So, would you have any interest in football if it wasn't for me? Yeah, it gave me a box, and I'm going. But other than that, it's just... no. Bougie, yeah. It, yeah, well, I'm. It's been my life, right? So when people always ask me this question: Do you like football? Are you interested mm. in football? I'm like, you know, not really. No, I'm gonna lie. Is that because, as you said earlier in, in the interview, is because? It, it became quite difficult it's, so you couldn't even enjoy it the environment sometimes in football honestly I cannot yeah. understand how aerated people can get in those pubs <laughs> it's absolutely wild you get so aggravated about this ball of air yeah. on the pitch it's like a bit it's, ridiculous it is ridiculous 
So I just, but you don't get it in any other sport. There's no other sport. Like, you're going to watch tennis and everyone's having a nice old chill time eating their strawberries and cream. Like, we get to the football <laughs> game and everyone's throwing puck pies at each other. Like, there's just no need. All men, even when I'm doing EDI with stuff, if people leave their office and they turn up at a football stadium and they lose their minds for some mm. reason. But it's not even, listen, I've seen women do it and that's a big shock. I've played games where I've seen a family, you know, and people have got young children and they're spitting. I just don't agree with the I mean, football culture. I just yeah. think mm. it's toxic. It's very toxic. It's misogynistic. The amount of like domestic violence cases that go up, you know, if, if a team loses mm. a game. Those stats are terrifying. When England it's just play, it's like domestic violence increases 46% or something at home. There's, they're terrifying. Mm. And this is just what I'm saying. I don't know what it brings out in people, but it's just a game of sport. Can't even do Sunday league football without people getting stressed. Grassroots football's worse because there's there's no filter. You know, at least you're trying to say if you can't get it right in a professional game, you're not going to get it right on a grassroots pitch, are you? And that's where it all starts. That's where we've all started. Mm. I remember having to go from my first team I played in was an all-white team, ten years of age. Mum took me, and also if you want to talk about racism and microaggression, then understand that let's put it into context. My mum was white. Obviously, she's passed away. And she took me to a football team because she knew I wanted to play football and the team was white. She wasn't to understand that. She just knew I wanted to play football. So then I'm now playing in football. I'm trying to play football. I've got some talent. I'm in goal. That's the first position they decided they were going to put me and I was in goal and I had to earn, earn my right to go outfield and then I ended up being a striker before, you know. And anyway, I had to leave that team and go and play for a team that's predominantly black. That was where I was finding myself. That's from the age of 10, probably 11, 12. You know, I'm realising that I can't play in an all-white team. Because when I'm playing against another team, I'm getting racially abused. Like, you're the one person in that team. So, just understanding that. But, you know, I, you know if you, if you want to go deep and we'll talk about being mixed race as well, I knew how bad it was, you know, for my mum. I could hear some of the comments, you know, whether she was walking with me or whatever it may be. Some of the comments, I don't even want to repeat them, but what people would say to her would be disgusting. Yeah. And also what she was really good at is she could pick up on Pat Toy and this, that and the other. You, you remember, obviously. Course, yeah. She was never that person in the room that didn't understand if someone was cussing her. She so. kissed her teeth more than you yeah. did like, in your entire Whether life. Whether you're black or white, if you was going to discriminate, she would pick up on it. She could understand. But for me, that's where you have to navigate being mixed race, you know, where you fit in, but obviously you have to have that cultural awareness to to give you the confidence to say that I'm comfortable, you know, in this space. So, yeah, going back to earlier in the, in the pod, when I was talking about trying to arm you and give you those tools, you know, that would have been the reasons. So as young women in the workplace, out in the world, you know, you speak to me about misogyny, I hear it. So this is why I don't just focus on race all the time. I try to focus on supporting women, and the difficulties that you have to endure, you know, the sexism in the workplace, wherever it may be. So mm-hmm. am I doing enough in that? What can I learn? What can, you know, what can the listeners learn from, from your perspective as young women? It's the field, the field you work in. So I work in tech. So quite literally, the number of women that work in tech is significantly lower than it should be. Um, I mean, we have our own women in tech chapter where I work at the moment and you know, we actively go out, we've got a lot of allies and stuff, but it's it's trying to get that disparity kind of sorted out from a sexism kind of perspective. I don't think the language changes around women that are vocal. Like, I'm vocal, you, but you can sometimes be tarred with that word that begins with A. And it's like, you wouldn't go and call a man aggressive, but I'm getting called aggressive. It, they'd be assertive, right? Mm-hmm. They'd be owning that room. It'd be all mm. positive, but it gets it can get switched the way around. So that can impact like your like day to day and how you approach things. Like if sometimes you feel like you have to kind of like tone yourself down and and like change your personality to fit in because you just know off the back of that conversation it could come out a particular way that if you were a male you, they wouldn't be getting that kind of feedback. Mm. No, I get it. I think you spoke you spoke before. You don't want to be dumbed down by anybody, do you? No. You're not having Mammy. that. You're not having that. But it's listen, that's why I have to listen. I listen to your conversations. You have to keep reminding me, let me know your experiences. Because I can use these experiences. You know, I've used the ones about hair and microaggressions and this that, and the other. Just 
they're just good little learning tools. Without context and explaining certain scenarios to people, they just don't get it or they claim they don't get it. So you have to spell it out sometimes. It's you know exhausting I mean? having to be the educator all the time, though. This is in it both. Is. This is in like that. The being the being a woman, being mixed race, being a mixed race woman. It's exhausting being that person asked to go, look, you can't say that. Right? And it's even more draining when they go, why not? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not, I don't think it's racist. I'm glad you don't think it is. I'm glad that you don't think that's sexist. I'm telling you that it is, and I feel a way about it. You should take that and move on. But when you have to sit and argue with people about it, it's it's exhausting, like doing this job to educate people. Like you just want to like live your life. I just, yeah, it's a lot. This is my point when people want to talk about how much change. Well, in the 30 years I've been involved in football, mm. the dial ain't moved much. You know, I'm still, the reason I'm out here doing what I'm doing is because people still need the work. So it can be really draining and depressing and I have my off days, you know what I mean? But if I don't do it, if you don't do it, Who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? I could easily be that angry person and just tell people, look, I'm not happy, but why aren't you happy? If I have to keep explaining, I'm doing it for a lot of people, really. So that's why we're doing what we're doing. But, you know, listen, we're coming to the conclusion of uh, of this episode. And as I said, it is going to be uh, a closure for season one. You know, we're obviously looking forward to season two. Um, you know, take on board, you know, have more women. Uh, really diversify, try and get some really, really topical subjects and and keep having, you know, what are uncomfortable for other people, but just try and educate people and give them the knowledge that they need going forward. So really appreciate you both coming in, you know, being part of this this episode. You know, we haven't fallen out. Um, there's still time. There's still time. <laughs> no, listen, really appreciate it. Um, if there's any shout-outs that you want to do, now's your time. If, if there's anything you want to say, you know, you can say it. If not, I'm going to let you go. We're going to close it down. We Thanks good? Huh? Thanks you're for welcome. You're welcome. You've been part of it. You've seen it from afar. Now you're in the studio, so you've seen what it's about. Yeah, it is what it is. All mm-hmm. good, yeah? All good in the hood. All good. <laughs> All right. Peace. Enjoy, everybody. See you for season two. Bye.